Good morning. On July 18, 1965, Commander Jeremiah Andrew Denton Jr. was leading a squadron of 28 A-16 intruder attack jets and flying his 12th mission over North Vietnam. He took off from the aircraft carrier Independence in the South China Sea. His target was a military warehouse complex at Tan Hoa, 75 miles south of Hanoi. But as he came over the Tan Hua Bridge on the Ma River, anti-aircraft batteries opened up and hit his aircraft. He was shot through his left thigh, and the aircraft went into a tailspin. The flyers bailed out and were captured. Over the next seven years and seven months after his capture, Commander Denton was held in various prison camps including the notorious Hanoi Hilton, and endured beatings, starvation, torture, and more than four years of solitary confinement, including periodic detentions in coffin-like boxes. Ten months after his capture, he was selected for a propaganda interview to be broadcast on Japanese television. Haggard but gritty, Commander Jeremiah Denton slumped in a chair before the television cameras. He was acutely aware that if he said anything against his captors, he would be tortured more. Pretending to be blinded by the spotlights, he began blinking in seemingly random spasms and ticks. He was asked the question about American war atrocities, and as he gave the answer about American war atrocities, he blinked out the word torture in Morse code. The broadcast was seen on American TV on May 17, 1966, and was the first confirmation that American prisoners of war were being tortured during the Vietnam War. Behind the facade of our smiling faces, sometimes our lives are blinking out the word torture. Pain is relative, and what is pain for one person may not be pain for somebody else. But pain is real, and this morning we are going to discuss the topic of pain and suffering from a Christian perspective in a sermon entitled, The Fulcrum of Pain. Our text for this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 8 through 14. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 14. I've got five things to say this morning, and I'm going to rush through them. The first thing that I want to say is about Christian suffering and pain. You know, in, in verse 8, Paul talks about suffering in this passage, and he actually invites Timothy to suffer. Look at verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. It's like saying, well, I've got a party on Saturday. Join me for this party on Saturday. Instead, Paul is telling Timothy, join me in suffering for the gospel. What's the difference between Christian suffering versus religious suffering? In religious suffering, suffering is to appease God. In Christian suffering, we believe that we cannot appease God by anything we do, even suffering. And so suffering is not to appease God from a Christian viewpoint. So in Hinduism, there are Hindu devotees that walk on hot coals and sleep on a bed of nails, torturing themselves, hoping that God would be pleased by their self-torture. 
In the Roman Catholic faith, every Good Friday, there are people that get crucified in the Philippines, again, hoping that their infliction on pain on themselves will cause God to be appeased. One of the lesser known Shiite Islamic festivals is Ashura that mourns the death of Muhammad's grandson in 680 AD, almost 1300 years ago. And at this festival, even young kids, they torture themselves. They have these whips on which are tied knives and they whip themselves. And there's one video online that I saw last week where a man was holding his 10-month-old son and just slit the head of the 10-month-old son to appease God. Christian suffering is not that way. Christianity believes that you cannot please God in any way, even suffering. And so in Acts chapter 22 and verse 25, it says, when they had stretched him out, this is talking about Paul, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who was a Roman and uncondemned? So what essentially happened there was Paul got out of getting whipped because he used his Roman citizenship as a card. So it wasn't like he was trying to get punished to appease God. Even though Christian suffering is not for suffering itself, it is done so that the message of Jesus can be preached. Even though we don't appease God, if you're suffered for the sake of the gospel, you will be appropriately rewarded. So in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 29, it says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. The second point that I want to make today is about suffering and shame. In verse 8 it says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. It says, don't be ashamed, but suffer. As if being ashamed about Christ is the opposite of suffering. If you are ashamed of Christ, you will not suffer. If you are unashamed of Christ, then you will suffer. Every day we have a choice, whether we are going to be ashamed of Jesus and his message or choose to suffer for Jesus and his message. If you are a teenager and have a parent who had, let's say, early onset Parkinson's, which is a debilitating motor disease, so there is tremor at rest, there is dementia, there is shuffling gait, there is slow movement, and if you're a teenager who has a parent with Parkinson's, you can choose to be ashamed and not face the ridicule of your friends, or you can choose not to be ashamed of your parent and don't care about the ridicule of your ignorant classmates. In the Christian faith, if you're ashamed of the gospel, you cannot suffer. And Paul calls Timothy to suffer. Luke chapter 9 and verse 26 says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Paul was not ashamed 
of the content of the gospel or of the resulting persecution. And so he says in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is a power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The Jews were ashamed of the gospel because it affirmed a suffering Messiah. The Gentiles and the Greeks were ashamed of the gospel because it spoke about a resurrected body. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, it says, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. Why are we ashamed of the gospel today? Is it fear of rejection? Ridicule? That you would be ostracized? Or you would be branded? Or you would be isolated? You would not be part of the group or you would offend somebody? Why are we ashamed of the gospel today? It's funny, we are more likely to propagate a story about cats jumping at the sight of cucumbers <laughs> than something about the gospel, isn't it? I've watched the video myself, it was very funny. I watched it a couple times. <laughs> but it's easier to propagate something that is less offensive than something about the gospel. Thirdly, why is there suffering and pain? This is a philosophical question and I don't expect to answer philosophical questions completely in the next two minutes. But the term that's used for this is called theodicy, which is the answer to the question, why does God permit evil? And there are usually four reasons that are given why God permits evil or why is there suffering and pain. And I'm going to say just two of them. The first one is what is called as punishment theodicy. It says that suffering is part of a fallen world. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered into the world, corrupted it, and everything fell. So in Romans 8 it says that creation is in bondage and waiting for the appearance of Jesus Christ. John chapter 12 and verse 8 says, For you will always have the poor with you. Jesus is saying this. You will always have the poor with you. What is he saying? He's saying that there is always going to be poverty. This is the punishment theodicy. There's always going to be death. There's always going to be disease. There's always going to be pain. There's always going to be agony on earth. And that is because of sin, whether we are Christians or not. Everybody gets it. The second reason to the question, why is there suffering and pain, is what is called a soul-making theodicy. It says that it is necessary for our development. It makes our soul. You know, sometimes pain is the only way that God can get a hold of us. C.S. Lewis in his book, Problem of Pain, said this, pain is not only immediately recognizable evil, but evil impossible to ignore. We can rest contentedly in our sins and our stupidities, and anyone who has watched gluttons shoveling down the most exquisite foods as if they did not know what they were eating will admit that we can ignore even pleasure. But pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that we can ignore sin, we can ignore our stupidity, we can ignore even our pleasure, but we cannot ignore pain. And that is why God has to use pain to get a hold of us. 
The fourth thing that I want to say this morning is kinds of suffering and pain. I've loosely divided all kinds of suffering and pain into three loose categories. The first kind of category is physical pain, physical suffering. Most of the suffering in many third world countries are physical suffering. There's poverty and hunger. The hunger in the US does not really count because 40%, 30 to 40% of food is wasted, groceries are wasted, produce is wasted, so it doesn't really count, it's just mismanagement. But in many countries where there is no food, there's no wealth, people are hungry and suffering. There is disease and sickness everywhere. Then there are natural disasters that we have no control over. So Hurricane Matthew that claimed hundreds of lives in Haiti and thousands of people rendered homeless. There are tsunamis in Asia, there are earthquakes, there are fires. Physical things that we have no control over. Physical suffering. John chapter 16 and verse 33 says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. In the world you have tribulation. There is going to be pain in the world. The second kind of suffering or pain is what I will say is mental or emotional. Numerous studies have shown that one in four Americans have mental disorders, including mood disorders, depression, obsessive compulsive disorders, schizophrenia, panic disorders, anxiety, stress, phobias, activity disorders, eating disorders, dementia. Unfortunately, human happiness has not progressed with the advance of science. Just because we have better health care and better facilities, uh, phones that can do amazing things that, that could not be even conceived of in the past, we are not happy. The Happiness Report 2016, not a report that I subscribe to often, but ranked 157 countries in order of happiness. U.S. is behind Israel. And just so you know, Israel is surrounded by enemy nations that are trying to get rid of it. U.K. is behind Mexico. France is behind Colombia, where a lot of the country is controlled by drug cartels. Japan is behind Saudi Arabia and Qatar. So that's a happiness scale. There is profound loneliness. In spite of increased connectivity and social media, there is profound loneliness. You're able to know what your friend from first grade who stays 2,000 miles away had for breakfast, but you're still profoundly lonely. In their song, My Mortal, from the 2003 album Fallen, Arkansas-based gothic metal band Evanescence sang these words, I'm so tired of being here, suppressed by all my childish fears, so if you have to leave, I wish that you would just leave. Your presence still lingers here, and it won't leave me alone. These wounds won't seem to heal. This pain is just too real. There's just too much that time cannot erase. I've tried so hard to tell myself that you're gone, but though you're still with me, I've been alone all along. 
In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The third kind of pain is spiritual pain. Everyone is affected by spiritual pain. Spiritual pain underlies all the physical and the mental pain that we have on earth today. And spiritual pain is because we are alienated from God due to the sin of of Adam. So in Romans chapter 3 verse 23 it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. Our smiling faces belie the agony that is in our souls. And like Commander Denton, our words may say one thing, but our lives spell out the word torture. Fifthly, I want to talk about the gospel and suffering. The message about Jesus Christ has always been associated with suffering. I'm going to make the argument that a true presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ will elicit suffering. Why? Let me give you two reasons why if you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way it's supposed to be preached, there will be suffering. Let me give you two reasons why. First, because evil always opposes that which is good. Every time. And whenever you bring the presence of God by speaking the gospel, Satan and evil will always oppose it. Secondly, there is always suffering when you preach the gospel because of the content of the gospel. What is the gospel? Let me tell you the gospel in three verses from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means everybody are sinners. And you deserve death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. We all are sinners, therefore we all deserve death. And the second half of the verse says, But the gift of God in Christ Jesus is, is eternal life. So the gospel is, we all sin, we all deserve death, but if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. And in Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you've believed in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that a sacrificial, loving message about Jesus Christ elicits suffering? elicits so much opposition and because of this next fact and the fact is that the message of Jesus Christ is an exclusive message. So in John 14 verse 6 Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is an exclusive message. And in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 it says salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men that they can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. So the message of Jesus Christ is an exclusive message. And because of that, there is going to be opposition. So the gospel is a message that says that you're a sinner. I mean, that goes against every grain of self-righteousness. 
And the message of the gospel says that salvation is only through Jesus Christ. So it opposes every other exclusive message. For example, Islam and atheism. This exclusive message of Jesus Christ opposes every other exclusive message. It also opposes every other neutral message. So the message of Hinduism is a neutral message. You can believe anything. Or the message of tolerance today is a neutral message where you can believe anything. The gospel of Jesus Christ opposes any other exclusive message and every other neutral message. And therefore, when you speak the gospel, you should have suffering. So if you've told the gospel to somebody and they are not attracted to it or offended by it, you've either not said the message properly or they've not been paying attention. There is no middle ground. Because you've just told them that you are a sinner in need of help and that Jesus is the only way. So no matter what they are thinking, they are either attracted to it or offended by it. And if either of those things don't happen, then we've not said the message properly or they've not heard it properly. So that is why I believe every time we speak the gospel, suffering is inherent. The suffering in Western countries is ridicule or indifference. But the suffering in non-Christian countries is much, much worse. I'm going to show you a 15-second video clip. Uh, it's a video clip about live persecution that happened in India. A group of pastors were beaten by Hindu fanatics. If you are remotely disturbed by such stuff, you can close your eyes. You don't need to listen. You don't need to watch this video. It is a silent video. It is a 15-second video. I'm going to give you about three seconds to close your eyes, and then we will show you the video. There are hours and hours of footage online. You just have to search for persecution in India on YouTube, and there's live footage of people being killed right in front of your faces because they were pastors in some remote villages. A report from five days ago says that ISIS crucified 11 Christian missionaries. They cut the fingertips of a 12-year-old in front of his preacher father before they crucified all of them. Right now, as we speak, there is persecution happening all over the world in fanatic Muslim countries, in fanatic Hindu situations, and in fanatic communist situations. There is persecution of Christians and Christian ministers happening all around the world. For the sake of the gospel. Jesus himself suffered all three kinds of suffering. He suffered physical torture of the crucifixion. The Roman orator Cicero said the crucifixion was crudelissimum teterimum q supplicium, the cruelest and most disgusting penalty. 
Jesus also suffered mental agony. He was well and truly alone. Everybody had deserted him. His family did not believe in him. His friends that he had accumulated for three and a half years, everybody left him. Even his father abandoned him. But more important than that, he felt spiritual pain because when Jesus hung on the cross, he carried the sin of every human being from the beginning of time, from Adam all the way till the end of time. Everybody who would sin, their punishment fell on Jesus. Suppose a person is convicted of a crime today and is convicted for 30 years. Soon after the sentencing is done, he tells the judge, Judge, instead of giving me 30 years, please compress my conviction for 30 years into one day of torture. Can you imagine? Compress 30 years of torture into one day or one moment. That would be an intense day of punishment for that man. Jesus carried the punishment of every sin ever done by anybody, anywhere. And it was compressed into that one moment when he felt pain. And so the cry of agony, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, was the cry of the fulcrum of pain. He disregarded the shame of the cross so that he could save us through it. And he wants us to disregard the shame of the message of the cross so that we can preach the gospel through it. That moment of the fulcrum of pain. Why do I say it's a fulcrum of pain? Because if you believe in that moment, all three kinds of pain, physical, mental, and spiritual pain, because of that point of pain, that fulcrum of pain ends because of that moment. And so in Revelation chapter 21, when John the apostle writes about heaven, he writes these words, then I saw the new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard the loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no longer any death there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain this morning I want to give the opportunity to two groups of people to respond to the sermon if you have never come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ I'm going to pray a prayer in a second and you can pray that prayer after me the second group of people if there's anybody here who has never preached the gospel. You've been a believer, you've been a Christian, but you've never spoken the gospel. If you're ashamed of the gospel, let me remind you that Jesus wasn't. Jesus wasn't. Let's pray. If there's anybody here who's never invited Jesus into your life, you can pray this prayer after me. It's not a magical prayer. But if it is a prayer that arises from the bottom of your heart, God will hear it and answer it. You can pray something like this. 
Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, and I deserve death. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. And thank you that if I believe in you, I have the promise of eternal life. I ask you to come into my life and make me complete, make me whole. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.